Hello and welcome to Signals from the Hill, our sort of, I guess, traditional roundup episode for this month, where I'm joined by the Avery Hill team, including Dave. Good evening. Ricky. Hello. And Kat. Hi. So we're going to be talking about 2020 in retrospect, you know, what we did as a company, what we did in terms of our own enjoyments that we managed to find in what was a difficult year for many people. We're also going to look forward into 2021, mainly in the form of the books that you can expect from us this year. And having had a look over the list, I think there are some corkers coming. So six books we released this year, four debuts, which, you know, is very much in keeping with what I think of as like the spirit of Avery Hill. All of them very well received. Some some breaking news this evening, of course, where we've we've done particularly well at the latest round of Broken Frontier Awards, uh, with prizes going to our, our books and creators, but also us uh, scooping the Best Publisher Awards, beating off uh, the likes of Drawn and Quarterly and Myriad. Some so like you know publishers that have put out some really great stuff. So yeah, uh, exciting. Are we pleased? Absolutely ecstatic. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's always nice. Isn't it? I mean, it's um, you know, it's it's not only the, the awards that were won, but other nominations as well. Seeing a lot of those debut books um, being recognised, so it's um, and you know, Ricky said this before. I absolutely support it. We're absolutely in it for the awards. So you know, this is <laughs> a mile for us. Yeah, but it was good to see, especially Zoe sweeping the board with with her book. She's force of nature that one and um owen as well could see him picking up a long overdue award although i feel like it's a bit like uh with scorsese at the oscars give it to him i think <laughs> and of course nods for charlotte and cat as well and i said to cat earlier if you're going to lose an award it's nice to sort of lose it to uh, a compatriot isn't it yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I thought all the books in that category were fantastic. So, yeah, I would have been happy to lose to any of them. <laughs> but it was nice. Yeah, it was nice for Zoe to get so many wins. Yeah, it does feel like Zoe's debut has had real sort of impact. It really felt, I think I, I said to you, Ricky, uh, a couple of weeks back, where Zoe had just sort of posted something on Twitter. And she got responses from like, six pretty sort of major comics creators with like you know substantial work behind them and it sort of took me by surprise just because I, I think of Zoe as a sort of recent newcomer but it's obvious now I think again something I've mentioned before I think the fact that she was very good at sort of charting the progress of her book online really got people attached to it before it hit the shelves and had people sort of invested in her doing well before the book had even come out. I think Zoe is a case study on how to do your social media, really. Like, she's just incredibly good at it. And um, she, she was getting that kind of attention from uh, that, that level of creator right from the beginning, um, which meant that we could get, like, Kieran Gillen did us a, a pull quote, and uh, Declan Shelby. Yeah, loads of other people who have all kind of um, got on board, Shelley Bond. And, yeah, it's just been... I, I don't know how she does it, really. It's just uh, very <laughs> impressive. I mean, obviously, it's through being excellent at what she does, but also, yeah, just being able to get that level of attention from that 
level creator is very very good and i think it's nice for us as a as a sort of publishing concern as well to have someone uh, sort of gathering eyes and attention on her work and then obviously being that attention being drawn to to us and our other creators as well so it's a good sort of a, a rising tide lifts all ships i think doesn't it yeah absolutely like uh, charlotte's done really well at that this year and owen's social media's really taken off um we've seen cat do all the video work and things like that and it's just been um yeah especially this year when you kind of needed a very good social media presence to to make a difference um it's been definitely a bonus the panel that I did as part of Thought Bubble earlier this uh, autumn, I mentioned Zoe as someone that was very good at social media stuff because there was a bit of discussion about, you know, sometimes people feel awkward kind of promoting themselves via social media. And we were sort of saying that it, it doesn't have to feel like promotion-y and salesy. It can just be, you know, showing what you're working on, but doing it really consistently, which she does brilliantly. Um, she sort of films herself drawing all the time and she post sort of process stuff and it's like you're doing the work anyway you just need to snap a few pictures of it or you know record for a little while or something and you've got stuff you can upload um, and as you say it just keeps people interested and engaged kind of leading up to the release of the book. It's having that mindset though isn't it to think about you know it's hard enough I mean that was that was Zoe's debut graphic novel it's hard enough working on yeah uh, on something on a project like that yeah. Um, especially with someone like Ricky as your editor. Um, <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> to have that mindset of, you know, being able to think about, I'm going to use this part of the process as, as part of engagement as well. Um, I think it's a mindset thing. And I think it's something that, you know, you see really, you see, you see people that do it well and successfully. And, and as Rick says, Zoe's kind of a, a case study. In that. I think I think someone like Rachel Smith as well with her quarantine comics this year, uh, very similar. You know, really, it's not it's not necessarily promotional. It's just getting your work out there and letting people discover it and come to it and and letting it speak for itself. It doesn't have to be you know the big the big sales pitch all the time. I think yeah. Rachel and Zoe and, and you know also tip the hat to to Ricky here as well with the official Avery Hill Twitter account. They're they're all good as well at balancing out you know legitimate promotion and talking about your work and the industry with you know just genuinely good engaging fun content that is nothing to do with comics making comics or working in, in yeah. comics so people have a good reason to you know keep following and keep attentive when you're you're, you're posting stuff just for sort of good fun bits as well yeah, yeah. I, I have bots doing all the uh, the fun <laughs> stuff on my Twitter. I, I'm just hard sells. I mean, that, that's all I do on it. So. You just take pictures of the records and let the bots do the rest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're not even my records. No, no, they're not. I know they're not. <laughs> Only so many times you can uh, take a photograph of No Jacket Required by um, yeah, I think the, the, the point about, you know, the lack of physical shows and, you know, we couldn't do, we would have done launch parties at events and in shops and, you know, done things that would have involved people physically being able to meet creators and get books signed and whatnot. I think, it, again, it's a, a tribute to, to where we are and how we're organised. 
in, in terms of, you know, putting together offers and bundles to encourage people to pick up the books anyway. And then, you know, Kat's work in terms of marketing to sort of make sure that the, the, the word is getting out there uh, about the books. You know, which obviously, you know, you can see where Kat's put her energies this year, where only one of our creators got onto the New York Times. So, you know, know, imagine using all all the credit and uh, work we've got to get yourself in the New York Times, Kat. How dare you? We did did send them a few few things as well as my book. Yeah, who was top of the pile though, Kat? What was it? I think think the other ones were close-up MasterChef. And New York Times are like, so we've got like a copy of Close Up MasterChef and 10 copies of this book called Break War. It must be something. Well, that's too bad. <laughs> now, very exciting and very well deserved. So, yeah, like, as I say, uh, largely 2020 was terrible, but we put out some great books and managed to pick out a few highlights for ourselves uh, as a company. Uh, along the way. Uh, with that in mind, um, I just want to talk about any sort of bright spots that we felt uh, we had in in 2020. You know, firstly, in terms of like Avery Hill and the, the, the company itself. I mean, for me, what we don't talk about and the impending blindness of Billy Scott turning up in the Gosh uh, Best of 2020 list uh, was very exciting for me because I used to work at Gosh and I know how carefully you know it's not just a case of grabbing the closest books to you and making a list they do sort of like consult and there is a limited number that can obviously uh go in there so it was nice to sort of see uh those books in there one for me as well which we um you know you mentioned the awards but abs bailey being nominated for breakout talent in the broken frontier awards as well missing out to zoe so absolutely no no disgrace in that but i mean again another debut graphic novel novel from abs the first long form book that she's worked on and i edited that one and it was it was the lightest of touches to 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 work with abs it was all it was it was a fully formed story narrative pacing style from from the very start and it it was it was one of those editing jobs where i was basically a reader i wasn't you know i had to offer very very little insight or input to the book just because it was it was all there and and you know similar to Zoe for someone and similar to Charlotte as well I mean Rick, Ricky worked up with Charlotte on that one but I'm, I think it was probably a similar a similar experience just just to be able to work with so many debut creators and, and for them just to come to us in in such a such an incredibly fully formed state I mean Ab's, Ab's, Ab's book Zebedee and the Valentines you know wrapped up in this kinetic anthropomorphic story of, of, a, of a punk band in the 80s in in southwest England you know and, and really incredible art uh, to capture you know live performance some of the best I think you know that, that, that I've enjoyed in, in, in that kind of style and incredibly inventive layouts and, and just just wonderful wonderful stylistic approach but at the heart of it just just a really tender story driven by characters and and loss and 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 you know really really human aspects all wrapped up in this in this kind of answer you wouldn't you wouldn't suspect that from looking at the rapper so that was a big i really enjoyed i'd say it was it was an experience of, of almost as a reader rather than an editor on that book just because Abs would send me the pages and i would just just enjoy reading the latest installment and just correct one or two or suggest one or two little things each time it was fantastic 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I really enjoyed that book as well. I really enjoyed all the books um, this year. I think we always say, don't we, that all the all the titles are always so different from each other, which is one of the kind of cool things about Avery Hill. But my, probably the thing that I really enjoyed the most this year was finishing actually drawing my book, which <laughs> took up the whole first half of the year pretty much, and was kind of a bit of a, a crazy nightmare of working long hours. So once that was out of the way, um, I really enjoyed just sitting back and, um, and sort of working on promoting the books um, with all the different creators this year. Really enjoyed doing that. And I think like, like you were saying about there not having been any events and things, it's been a little bit different in terms of how I think how some people have consumed comics like Dave and I were both saying we haven't read a massive number of comics this year um, and I was having the same conversation with Gareth Brooks I think on Instagram we were saying because we often buy comics at events that we're at and we haven't had any of that at all we've not necessarily picked up the same number of titles that we, we normally would but I have it did occur to me that I have been kind of coming across more comics on Instagram and things, which has been quite nice. And there, and there was one that I've been really enjoying that I thought I could uh, give a mention to. It's not an Avery Hill one, it's a different one. Um, and it's, um, it's been doing really well on Instagram. It's been getting loads of attention and it's called Dog Biscuits by Alex Graham. And she's, I think she's an American um, creator and she's been posting these Instagram comics kind of daily or even sometimes two or three times a day. And she posts six panels at a time of this ongoing story. And it's just really cool to have that regular kind of up, upload happening where you can kind of check in with the story every day and see what's happening. And it's kind of, it's kind of my cup of tea, really, the kind of story. It's like set, set now in the real world. So it's kind of dealing with some of the pandemic stuff. But it's just a kind of really human story of um, kind of terrible characters living kind of crazy lives that visually it's a bit kind of like um underground comicsy style to look at but it's just a really it's I don't think I've ever really followed a comic the same way before like I've never really read web, web comics as they've come out I've kind of like caught up on some and read the whole thing after they've been done like um like Tilly's like on a sunbeam and stuff but I've just been really enjoying that one particularly just opening Instagram each day and having a new update to read so that's been one of my highlights of the year. Ricky, any particular highlights for you in the last year? Yeah, I think um, just, well, one of them is generally the, the sales of the books, how well all the books have done, which uh, coming into the year, obviously, when there were a few things happening in the world, it was a struggle to think how well anything might do. But um, yeah, the, everything sold really, really well with like, um, got second prints on four of the books now, which considering we only released six is very, very good. And also, I guess my other highlight is we've hired a bookkeeper <laughs> who uh, has basically straightened out all of my spreadsheets and put them all into accounting software. And um, that's been a massive highlight. It's been a lot of work, but a massive highlight. <laughs> I think I think another one for me this is it's probably the other the other book I did was Patrick Ray's The Flood That Did Come and um that, I mean if 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 anyone's had a chance to, to see that book, it is it's stylistically unlike anything else we've probably done before. Patrick uses ink stamps as his art and it was a it was a set that he bought a while back 
in a, in a junk shop that he supplemented with some, some others that he's been buying online so he could tell a story. When he sent us that as a pitch, and I think, you know, if you come to it in, in comparison to what a lot of our other books that we've published in recent years, it probably doesn't necessarily look like or, or feel like an Avery Hill book. But, but for me, it's, it, it, it's kind of the core of what an Avery Hill book is. And that's, it, and it probably links back to kind of our early days and, and the zines and the, the DIY aspect to it in the way that, in, in the way that Patrick created his art. And, and because of the stylistic uh, constraints that he put upon himself, you know, we had to work quite closely together on, on uh, format and pacing and, and, and so on. And it was, I mean, Patrick's, I mean, he's a great, great bloke anyway. And it was a real pleasure to get to know him, even though it had to be over Zoom a lot of the time through, through working on that book. And, and, and as an editor, it was a real challenge as well, because you couldn't just say, well, you know, can we, can we introduce this character? Can you change this pose? A lot of those, a lot of those tools that, or a lot of those techniques that you could easily use, just weren't available. And and that was both both a challenge and and a bit of a freedom in a way because uh, of the limited palette of, of of what you could use. But then using those limited techniques in in really innovative ways to tell what's you know really nuanced story at the heart of it. That's probably one of the most you know amongst the most relevant books that we've published so um that that as an editor and and plus i think you know it's a really funny really really insightful book so as an editor that was that's probably been one of the highlights for me um in in and one of the books that i'm probably proudest of in in what patrick was able to to do with you know some pretty challenging rules that he set for himself i just, I just really enjoyed working on that book with him yeah i i think that one in particular as well is going to really benefit once the shows come back is one of those where you're definitely going to want to show that to people when they come over and kind of um, flick through it with them and explain it to them and um, yeah it's going to be I think that will do really well at shows and it's going to be quite exciting being able to go to a show eventually with with all these books at the same time being new ones that people have only seen probably either on screen or in a store if they manage to get to a store during that one week when they're open. And um, yeah, they, it's kind of almost making me look forward to shows next year. Wow. <laughs> there's one thing, if there's one thing to come out of this night. <laughs> I, I genuinely did the other day. I was like, oh, I'm kind of, kind of miss going to comic shows. <laughs> um, not all of them, but a couple of them. Did you that see that Lynn, the first time you try and get on a on a train with a suitcase, that, that one. Yeah. <laughs> it just disappears yeah. straight away. Yeah, Did the next see? time the wheel breaks on my trolley bag, <laughs> I'm actually as I'm waiting for the taxi to the train station, like it did when I went to Glasgow, and I had to drag it around with like 25 kilograms of books in. Uh, that yeah, that that will that will put a dampener on it. That was actually the, the theme of Rachel. I don't know if you saw Rachel Smith's quarantine comic for today, but it was I did, about... yeah, that was fantastic, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think Gareth and I were saying as well um, in our chat we were having about shows that, yeah, the first few are probably going to be quite good for people because there'll be a real excitement of, you know, being able to do that again and buy things from creators. And probably a few people will be holding off buying things because they want to, you know, buy them from the publisher or from the creator at an event. Yeah. So Plus, they, won't, they won't be able to hang around and talk at the table either because of social distancing. They'll just <laughs> talk and go. So, even better, even better. Yeah. 
I think I'm going to be sort of like giddy the next time I go to a comic show or into a comic shop. Do you know what I mean? Like it's sort of, if again, if, if the whole situation's done anything, I think it's really brought into focus how brilliant and special those, spa- those spaces are to have, you know, to have a, 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 a place where you can go in and just be surrounded by uh, a medium that you love and, uh, you know, be completely encased in that work is uh, tremendous, isn't it? And it's just, it's just the opportunity to connect with people. I mean, it's, <clears throat> you know, going through the people that I've just not had a chance to speak to this year or see this year is really, uh, I was, I, you know, kind of the end of the year is a time when you start to reflect on that kind of stuff. And, you know, you miss that. You, you just miss that opportunity to see people and connect with people. But also meet people, new creators. You know, I think, I think it's probably fair to say, Rick, that Zoe, Charlotte, Abs as well, and a lot of the people we work with this year and a lot of people we work with in past years, you know, we, we, we buy a lot of comics at these shows and we come across a lot of creators at shows. And, you know, it doesn't mean all those opportunities are shut. As, as, as Kat says, there's, I think people have found really innovative ways to, to promote their work for other means this year. But it's, um, you just lose that, that opportunity to, to discover work and meet people. And that's, uh, even for a missing thread like me, that's, that's, that's started to become a problem. <laughs> Just wondering as well if people have any sort of uh, personal highlights from 2020 uh, they'd like to share. Mine's sort of uh, intertwined with Kat a little bit in that Kat helped out Hannah Berry, the comics laureate, for another month or so still, uh, where Hannah did that incredible sort of work yeah. uh, with the survey and the overview of the, the sort of state of the nation in terms of the, the comic scene specifically in the UK, but, you know, with implications for comic creators around the world, I think. And um, as part of that, I know, Kat, you helped to collate the information from, from various panels and, and presented that on the, the Comics Journal website. Uh, and I was quoted. And, like, just being quoted on the Comics Journal was something I didn't think uh, would ever happen. So uh, that was uh, nice for me. Uh, but also very nice for Kat, who actually did all the work. <laughs> <laughs> You, you stick with us, Walsh. We'll make you a star. Um, <laughs> no, I mean that 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 report from the, the, you know Hannah and, and a lot of people just Kurt, obviously, but but a lot of people inputted to by the panels. You know, I think I think having that database collation of information and material, rather than perhaps, um, it's, 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 it backs up a lot of the things I think people have been saying, but it's been anecdotal before, and you know, it's perhaps. It's, it's never been collected, collated, presented in, in such a complete and considered way. And I think, I hope that that is, you know, the basis of, of um, trying, to, trying to resolve a lot of the, a lot of the key issues that, that Hannah and, and the report highlights in that. But I mean, what a wonderful use of that role. And that, that I think, you know, perhaps hasn't, you know, what, what, the, what the remit of that role is, what the, but, but I think in her time, in a tenure position, I think we should all be very, very grateful of and that, and that report's just the sum total of it. Yeah, definitely. It was, it was kind of uh, interesting um, to be involved with. Um, I wasn't enjoying it at the point where I, I was watching six hours of footage back. Yeah, that must have been time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm making notes on that. Um, but it was really fun to um, do something towards it. I just felt as I, I was panels initially and as they started to kind of unfold it was a series of five online talks that were kind of 90 minutes each 
I just thought this is really kind of there seems to be such a, a, a will to kind of make something come of this that I kind of got in touch with Hannah and asked if, if she needed, you know, someone to kind of try and document what was being talked about. And it was really nice to be involved and it's still continuing. I've actually got a Zoom thing tomorrow night with Hannah and some people in the States to kind of discuss, you know, similar talks that have been happening there and things. So it does seem like it's, um, yeah, there really is this kind of... Uh, sense that people want to kind of see if we can um improve things that as as you say dave that people have been kind of mumbling about for a while <laughs> but but yeah it's kind of an interesting thing to be part of and i'm also writing an article at the moment which i don't know if i can say where it's it's going to go up but it's on on this kind of trying attempting to <laughs> take the eight thousand words that i wrote in that report and and distill it into one thousand for an article <laughs> so that's another fun task i mean if it's the new york times this is just off the chart isn't it? <laughs> oh yeah that was my other highlight that was my other <laughs> of the year was that um being featured in the new york times which is not something i ever anticipated <laughs> that was quite nice as well <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when uh, Ricky, I think you, you probably did. You send that link round. That that was kind of one of those moments where you open a WhatsApp or or an email, and you, it, it, I mean, it was an actual shout out loud, loud moment. It was, I mean, not not only is it incredibly well deserved, but just just to just to see that level of recognition at that at that type of um at that type of publication, it was it was it was really one of those. Uh, it was a standout moment, I think. Yeah, that that was definitely up there with like the um, uh, Eisner nominations and that kind of thing. That was, uh, yeah, just well, just mainly because it's so totally unexpected that yeah, it, there would be a big U.S. paper that we'd get into first before we got into like the Guardian or something like that. So it was kind of uh, yeah. I take the sport at this point. I mean, <laughs> that's still going. Yes, yes. And on, on a personal note. Uh, I bought a house with my girlfriend and it's still standing, which I'm really ecstatic about. <laughs> um, after being confined to its walls for, for a year, it's still, it's not falling down there. So that's, I'm, I'm happy with that. I, I, I was thinking, I was thinking about kind of cultural highlights as well and things that I managed to do before March. And, and the two, <laughs> the three things actually uh, that, that I think I managed to do was go and see Supergrass uh, at the Alexandra Palace with Ricky. It was probably one of the last super spreader events uh, before everything, <laughs> everything stopped. Yeah, it was like the weekend before the lockdown. It really was, yeah. And, yeah. and I mean, looking back, it felt a bit weird. Um, I went to see, I saw Parasite at the cinema, which was the last film that I managed to see. Uh, but I also went to see uh, Tina, the Tina Turner musical um, before lockdown. <laughs> and, it was, and it was absolutely brilliant absolutely brilliant um so going through my kind of cultural highlights i think tina the tina turner musical was the was the cultural highlight of my of my year in in the circumstances <laughs> my sort of cultural highlights you know the, the sort of list i made i've realized are all sort of tv shows i think because i live in yeah. the west of ireland anyway so once you sort of remove any sort of travel out of the equation let alone sort of lockdowns where everything's closed. It really does sort of limit your options. Uh, I managed to see Tenet at the cinema sort of in between lockdowns, but it wasn't very good, was it? I didn't enjoy it particularly. I yeah, that. I, I, I watched that. that. Did you go and see it? I watched it, uh, I watched it the other day because you can, you can get it on the telly now. You can buy it. Yeah. I, 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 
just didn't understand it so which which was fine i mean there's a lot there going on but um and and i did the requisite reading afterwards to try and make sense of it. But <laughs> yeah. i think it's accepted that it doesn't really make sense but i was just pleased to see something that wasn't um <laughs> that was vaguely vaguely new as a genuine recommender i would say uh, the great which i think has just come onto channel four uh, on sunday night does anyone know about this no, I know that. It's it's Elle Fanning as uh, Nicholas uh, as uh, Catherine the Great and Nicholas Hout as uh, the Tsar, um, and it's uh, I was thinking about how to describe it, and it's kind of like Blackadder meets the thick of it, in that it's just like really hilarious and so incredibly well written and uh, beautifully performed and yeah it's and uh, genuinely a, a lot of people from the thick of it uh, and other good british tv shows uh, do turn up in, in it but yeah, yeah. yeah big recommend for uh, the great when I, when I saw the advert for that i thought it was an advert for the favorite because nicholas holt definitely character, doesn't he yeah no there's it's definitely got a, a very similar tone to the favorite as well that sort of irreverent yeah. uh kind of surreal uh element so yeah it's uh yeah tremendous i mean i did i did i have watched a lot of telly unfortunately but, we all uh, have haven't we we have another no, that's, that's that's i mean there's, there's absolutely zero point in you know i'm not going to say anything more about anything that, that than anyone's already said but um apart all i will say is uh, and and again i think rick shares this we're overjoyed to see the return of cobra kai and um <laughs> I'll probably probably put an all nighter to finish that one tonight. <laughs> yeah, uh, early in the um, pandemic, my my sleep patterns were very much all over the place, and um, I was getting up at five a.m. and watching a couple of episodes each morning. Uh, so it was a it, it was a good start to the day. Also, the Mandalorian we we have to mention. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. I mean, remarkable, isn't it? But it's like as good as it is. <laughs> Possibly <laughs> the best Star Wars thing ever. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm watching uh, behind the scenes documentaries on it. I mean, what's what? going on? <laughs> I um, I rewatched re like the last 15 minutes of, of the last episode the other day just because I wanted. I, I genuinely wanted to watch it again. I, was so I watched it with my. I couldn't, uh, I couldn't remember what was happening. I watched it with my brother-in-law on uh, Christmas Eve night because he hadn't seen it and I had. Yeah. And uh, he was like, asking me mid scene what was happening. And I was like, just what? Yeah, it was beautiful, <laughs> beautiful to sort of uh, witness uh, someone else watching it unfold. Uh, I'd also like to make a recommend for a show called How To with John Wilson, um, which is uh, from the production company Absolutely, which is run by uh, Tim and Eric. I don't know if people know Tim and Eric but they're very good and very funny. Um, and How To With John Wilson is this odd sort of, it's basically this guy wandering around New York making video essays about random subjects based on things he sees in New York. It sounds really weird, but it unfolds uh, so beautifully across the, it's only like six episodes, but it is, uh, yeah, a remarkable uh, television show. But, but I, I... I mean, New York's, I mean, it's cool anyway, so. Um, what's, what's it called? I'm writing this one down, Steve. Yeah, me too. <laughs> How To with John Wilson. How To with John Wilson. Okay, yeah. that's, that's on the list. Yeah. Something I did get heavily into during the summer, particularly, 
was I started reading all the George Smiley books by John Le Carre. Oh. Um, and I've, I've, I've actually got one more to go. I run out of steam a little bit, but um, they're kind of like his, his gentleman spy books. And it got to the point where I, I was reading one after the other. And, and it got to that point where I was reading so much, I was dreaming that I was a spy. <laughs> um, I, I did exactly the same when I read all the Game of Thrones book in one go. I was dreaming that I was a knight. Um, <laughs> I tend to do it when I play a lot of like one game in a row, like Fallout or something like that. Where, but yeah, so I so I spent most of the summer dreaming that I was a spy, which wasn't which was quite fun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if we're doing books and um, the final, uh, the Hillary Hillary Mantel Cromwell trilogy um, was incredible. Um, incredibly long but also <laughs> yeah the same kind of thing where it's just so immersive and um, you just genuinely love Cromwell and kind of miss him even though his character <laughs> died a long 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 time ago. Spoilers Miller, spoilers! <laughs> and, and who knows <laughs> may not even have been exactly like Mantel presents him but um, as, as a work of literature that trilogy is some of the best stuff I've ever read just I mean she's she describes herself as a, a working class writer and it's just so interesting that point of view uh, looking at that period of time and with Cromwell being a working class hero in up against the aristocracy and um yeah and how they kind of destroy him essentially um and yeah it's just uh, incredible, incredible books. And I'll do one last book. And, and, and I, read, I read it right at the start of, uh, of lockdown. It's called Severance by Ling Ma. And it's a book about a pandemic, but it, um, it's, it's not viral. It's kind of plant spore based. But um, the result of this pandemic is um, people just become really listless and disconnected from, from real life. So it's kind of really... They're zombies, but they're just harmless to the point of being useless. And, and it's, it's a satire about kind of millennials and the modern condition and so on. But just the timing of it, of reading about a pandemic, uh, was perfect. Um, but it's, it's, really, it's really wonderfully written. The, the, the style matches um, the, the subject matter perfectly. Um, and it was, it's kind of almost, it's, it's horrifying, but so normal at the same time and it actually kind of brought a little bit of normality to proceedings which was quite nice because it, it was like well it can't be this bad can it and then nine months on it turns out it can so um yeah <laughs> just so we've got uh at least one comic not produced by Avery or like cat did but like, i've just finished uh gameish by edward ross uh, i don't know if anyone's read filmish eddie ross's he did it as um Small press comics originally, they're sort of um, little individual comics based on various ideas of sort of film theory and film criticism. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that were collected together and are wonderful little essays. And he did one called Gamish. And uh, I think I, I, I read Filmish, and I think I'd just forgotten how sort of in depth and detailed it was because I bought Gamish. Uh, thinking it was going to be a sort of visual graphic overview of the history of video games and would look really nice because it was drawn by Eddie Ross. Uh, and it's this incredible exploration 
of the impact of play on human culture and society where he's like just quoting uh you know uh, this guy johan huizinger who wrote homo ludens all about how you know play has given us every significant cultural advance in human history and i was like and i've ordered that i mean i'm getting it i'm gonna read that as well and I, it's a tremendous book really and like it is still beautifully and really sort of amusingly uh, illustrated he does this really smart sort of conceit where he's narrating the book but he sort of he draws himself into it but draws himself sort of woven into the image as well so as you say dave if he's writing about fallout it's sort of him trudging across a sort of desolate wasteland with a oh, nuclear explosion yeah. in the background it's um yeah it's a, a, a fantastic fantastic book one other thing that um i really got into kind of um through the year and, and it was kind of finding through instagram it was, it was an initiative uh called the artist support pledge which uh, it was a hashtag that the people could use to sell sell their work online and yeah, for, for, just just found some, and it's 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 kind of removing in, in fine art and kind of contemporary art. It's removing that middleman, which which makes it a really really horrible industry almost to to be involved in, from what I can make out. So one one side effect of you know everything being locked down was starting up this 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 pledge, which which allowed you know kind of artists to come in almost come into contact with people that wanted to buy their art and removing the galleries and the agents and things like that and just found some really interesting interesting work for it and managed to buy some buy some things and also just talk to you know kind of people firsthand about about their work and 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 what they're creating and stuff and I mean I just I bought some paintings from from people but um, and some, some incredible work but I just came across through the through the hashtag a sculptor called Robin Tarbert, who lives in, um, I think he's based in Deptford, and he does a lot of sculpture in concrete. And uh, he, he had this um, series of uh, sculptures that they look like little robots, but they're actually cast out of tech packaging. So, you know, printers, uh, scanners, computers, that kind of thing. So you'll get, you'll get the discarded packaging, use that as a cast. And some of the things that come out of it, yeah, they, they look like these cool little robots. So I managed to get hold of one of them, and that was just. Yeah, you know, if there if there are some things that are gonna hopefully be retained and uh, have improved for the better through for all of this, something like that where you see and, and maybe it's even something that can translate to, to publishing and comics to a certain extent and distribution is is removing some of those um, some of those obstacles that potentially keeps creators from their um, and, and 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 people that make the work from from their audience. What's it called again, Dave? It's called the the artist support pledge, all one word. And if you just if you search it on Instagram, particularly, obviously, you have, I mean, it's been co-opted a little bit. There's some fairly strange stuff on it now, so you have to be a little bit selective around around what your tastes are. But um, no, it's some really really good stuff on there. Yeah, I've kind of I've kind of been thinking about stuff like that a lot lately. How there's almost been a kind of um, a movement towards us all creating our own economy to a certain extent in social media and platforms like Dave was just talking about where there's been that kind of, especially in the first lockdown, a drive towards people buying very specifically from shops that they um, rely on and they feel like are important to them. And also 
directly from creators and publishers and everyone kind of trying to help each other out by kind of bypassing Amazon and the likes of them. And uh, I, I think that's definitely been one of the, the really good things that's come out of the past year is just people thinking about where they buy things, how they buy things, the politics of, of com- consumerism. So some highlights there from 2020, but um, we've also got a few books on the horizon for this year that hopefully will prove to be some highlights for 2021. Ricky, do you want to lead us off with uh, what we can expect? In the first half of the year, we've just got one book coming out, which is in June, and that's called Alone in Space which I realized earlier is a bit like lost in space. So that, that's why I thought I'd say it like that. And that is a hardcover collection of Tilly Walden's first three books that she did with us. So that's the end of summer. I love this part and the city inside. Plus there's about a hundred pages of extra short comics and sketches. And that comprises of comics she did for websites and publications and the coursework for uh, her MA at the Centre for Cartoon Studies and some of the juvenilia she did when she was 16 I think which is when we first kind of found our work so it's kind of we, we kind of kept the first half of the year light again because we did a lot of books last year which need more time to go through the kind of sales systems of hopefully some shows and things and also um, we did, we didn't really know what the first half of next year is going this this year is going to be like in terms of COVID and lockdowns and things. So yeah, we decided just one title, and it's very much directed at kind of um, library markets and collectors. And yeah, it's going to be a very lovely book. The next one to come out after that in August, there's going to be a book called uh, Quiet Thoughts which is from a, a fairly new Canadian creator called Karen Shengwan. And it's uh, basically a collection of poetry, comics and sketches that she's been working on for the past year or so. And I think so far I've, I've, I've only seen the tiniest snippets of it, but I've been looking at her work and following her work on Instagram and it's pretty awesome. So I can't wait to find out and see more of that book. Then in September we'll see a release of Lights, Planets, People by the writer-artist team of Molly Naylor and Lizzie Stewart. Molly's an award-winning writer, performer and director and the co-writer and creator of the Sky One comedy After Hours. While we'll know Lizzie, uh, she's an award-winning artist and wrote picture books, comics and of course the book Walking Distance which Avery Hill published in 2019. Lights Planets People is an adaptation of Molly's play in which a renowned astronomer is undergoing catastrophes in her work and personal life as she's about to go on stage to try and inspire a group of young women into a career in science. And um, then in October, we've got a couple of books coming out. The first is, is Methods of Dying by B. Muir. That's dying with an E uh, to give you some kind of sense of, of what B's doing there. And, and this, it's, it's the fourth instalment in B's Izmir uh, series, following on from um, Izmir, Terrible Means and The Tower in the Sea. Um, this time it's going to be a detective story, which is, which is exciting. Um, if, if anyone's got experience of the Izmir books, B always takes, you know, a slightly different uh, subject or a slightly different slant on, on, on the universe that he's created. And I'm kind of delighted that we're going, we're going to be doing another of B's, B's Izmir books. They're, 
it's almost like it's almost like a nice warm coat that you put on when you start reading reading one of the Izmir books, just because it's such a beautifully formed, well-rounded uh, universe full of full of just characters that you instantly fall in love with, and they're thrown together in, as I say, in bees always compelling narratives. So uh, we're excited to see what what he'll do with uh, with the detective story. Slightly later in October, um, we're publishing Jinx Freeze by Herc. For those who aren't familiar with Herc's work, he's been he's been self-publishing for probably something near 20 years now, back towards kind of the start of kind of 2000, the start of the millennium. And he's got his own, he self-publishes a huge amount of work. He's got an imprint called Fancy Butcher that he's worked with a lot of uh, creators on. Um, and he released a book called, with Knockabout called Ready to Pop maybe four or five years ago. But this is this is Herc's first first colour full colour graphic novel. We've been talking, and it's something we we all I think we all love Her, Herc's work, and we've been talking to him for for a while now about the right projects. And 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 this is and this is the one Jinx Freeze, uh, which we're delighted to be able to work with him on. It's a little bit it's a little bit tricky to describe. So bear with me. It's, it's, at the heart of it <laughs> is a heist caper story set on the French Riviera in not as particular, it's not a name specific period, but it's got that kind of trademark 60s, 70s feel that Hurt kind of revels in. And, and, and that's kind of the core narrative, but, but he's telling the story via a series of, you know, short two, three page self-contained strips with little vignettes of certain characters or a certain place, some of which are standalone, some of which just add a bit of colour to the story, some of which are absolutely... Um, essential to the ongoing narrative and he's, he's just telling these he's just telling this story over as I say a load of these strips and, and hundreds of characters all of which are just incredibly compelling and and, and it just kind of collates her very British sense of writing and sense of humour with his incredible cartooning style and it's just it's just going to be not only is it going to be incredible uh, visually but I think it's just going to be a, a huge amount of fun to read as well so um yeah, that's another one where I'm kind of just standing back and, and, and enjoying the pages as Herc sends them over to me because it's just it, it, it just goes in directions that that you know you're not you, you don't know whether to say whether or not it's a diversion, it's context, it's core to the story until you get to the end. So it's it's, it's going to be it's a lot of fun to work on as well. But uh, so I'm looking forward to that one in October. The last of those is coming in November, where we have a book by. An exciting new creator from London called Cleo Isadora. Sour Pickles is a semi-autobiographical comic about being biracial and working class while struggling with the finishing the final year at a prestigious London art school, mentioning no names. Cleo came to her attention through her excellent self-published scene, Is It Vague in Other Dimensions, which might be one of my favourite titles ever. It's <laughs> an excellent little scene. Thanks for joining me, team. Cheers, Steve. Thanks very much. Cheers, Steve. Take care, everyone. Yeah, thank you, everyone. And I'll say now, see you all again, same time next year. But, I mean, obviously, we'll talk, you know, across the year to uh, plan out various things and make sure these books get out. Yeah, I know, yeah. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> this show is a whole fast network production. Go to holdfastnetwork.com for other programs you may enjoy.
Like I knew about castling, but I didn't know about en passant. Everyone know about en passant? Yeah, yeah, I hate that rule. Yeah, like I always forget it's a rule until the computer does it to me. And then I'm yeah. like, oh, it's that one, isn't it? Like, you can do that, can't you? The first time it happened, I was like, yeah. what's happened here? This is cheap. When can you do that? That's when they just move past your pool, isn't it? Yeah, no, no one plays that in real life. Like, I, I don't even know how it works. I think if... If, if you start you know, to pass on in me, Steve, I'm, we're off. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the whole game now, I don't care if I lose, as long as I can get an on yeah. in it. Now, it's so sort of specific, isn't it? It's such a weird uh, rule. But um, have you done any of the lessons, Ricky? No, no. Doesn't need it. Doesn't need it, does he? No. <laughs> he knew about on person. <laughs> I heard that. Oh mate, um, I was reading about it on Google. That's bullshit. <laughs> it really is, and it is a thing. It doesn't matter how many times it happens to me. Every time I'm like, "Well, that's cheating." 